Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good. All right. Thank you guys, worship team, for some awesome worship while Melissa is out of town. Looks like we have a lot of people out of town or maybe at a someplace with water, maybe. It's real hot. <laughs> we don't know, right? No judgments there. But um, you know what? We're a church plant, and uh, Austin Chapel exists really for two reasons, God's glory and God's mission, right? And we can gather together right now and give him the glory and honor that he deserves, no matter how many people are here or who's missing or what. It doesn't matter because God's presence is here, and he needs to be glorified because he deserves it. I want to talk about the second part, too, mission, right? We planted this church. I didn't plant this church for me. I didn't plant this church so we could gather a group of Christians and do things the way that we want to do them. We planted this church because God told us to go out into all the world and make disciples. Right? So his purpose for the church is to give him glory and to make disciples, to reach the lost, to bring those in who maybe have never been discipled. Maybe they're, you know, cultural Christians, right? They, they claim Christianity but don't really know what it means to follow Christ. We want to bring those people into our church, and that's why we exist as a church. And so I'm going to do something a little different this, this morning. Before we get started, I want to take 30 seconds, maybe 60 seconds, and I want everybody to just bow your heads in silence, and I want you to pray two things. I want you to pray just a a moment of worship and adoration to God because that's what it's all about and then second pick somebody it could be somebody you've been trying to invite to church it could be a co-worker somebody like that and just pray that God would move in their lives right now as we're speaking no matter where they're at all right sound good all right let's go ahead and bow our heads and, and just take a moment to glorify God and pray for someone that we know Heavenly Father, we we love you and adore you, God. We pray that in this church you would always be glorified, that you would always come first, that your scripture would would always um, teach us to, no matter what we're looking at, teach us to glorify you and love you for who you are. Lord, you have commanded us to reach the lost. You've commanded us to make disciples. Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged to do those things as a church, Lord, that we would be reminded continually that the mission doesn't end until you return, Lord, that we have a job to do. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. So we are continuing this week in our series, Animal Encounters. And uh, this Sunday's sermon title is Lions and Legacy. All right, it's our second sermon on lions. Like we had uh, lions, bears, and destiny, and this week we have lions and legacy. When you think of animals, the one that probably has the best legacy or reputation would be lions. Right? I mean, they're called king of the jungle, which I always found hilarious because they don't live in the jungle. <laughs> they live in the like savanna, like they don't live in the jungle. But they're the king, right? You have the movie Lion King, right? Where they're the kings and lions, um, whether you've seen one in the zoo or on a safari, wherever you may have seen a lion or maybe you haven't, when you see a lion, there is something really 
powerful about them. When you just look at them, I mean, they are monstrous. They're huge. Uh, they're ferocious. Like just even when they're laying there sleeping, there's something intimidating about them. Um, I've had a few lion encounters in my life. As many of you know, I grew up as a missionary kid. My parents who are here were missionaries for um, a period of 13 years, and close to four of those years were spent in Kenya. And in Kenya, you have lions, right? You probably have one of the largest populations of lion any, anywhere in the world. And so we had a few encounters with, with lions. I can, I'll tell you about a few of them. Um, there was a time where my dad thought the photo from the car wasn't good enough and decided to step out where there's a, uh, not a pack of lions. There were several lions. A pride of lions, thank you. Should have studied a little better for this sermon. Uh, <laughs> there, were, there was a pride of lions. Uh, specifically, I think there was one that was, was closer. And my dad got out of the car and starts walking over there to get a better picture. And I remember we're sitting in the car. And I've seen my mom mad a few times. for A lot of times, probably. <laughs> at me, mostly. <laughs> but I remember my mom was flipping out at my dad. Like, flipping out. Like, if anything, though, she was probably the one making the noise and drawing the attention of the lions, you know, in a certain sense. Uh, so that was one memory. Another was we were on a safari. We're in this little van. They got this pop-up roof. And you stand up, and you, you look at the animals from this little roof, and you kind of stand on your chair in the van, and, and you get to kind of peek out of the van. And we get to this spot, and there's all these other vans because there's a, a couple lions there. And... Uh, I think they had some cubs with them as well. And so being at that age, well, how old was I at that age? 12, something like that. Okay, so I thought it would be funny to start meowing, right? And as I'm like, like that, and as I do that, the male lion gets up and starts going to each van, trying to figure out where the sound is coming from. And I was like, you stop it right now. That lion is looking for you. And I kept doing it <laughs> until the lion came around to, like, our side. And, like, I got to, like, pretty much look eye to eye with this lion, which was pretty intimidating, <laughs> pretty terrifying. So I've had a few uh, encounters with lions. Fortunately, uh, nothing too serious. I'm, I'm still alive. Uh, but they are an animal that has a reputation of being the king they have a legacy you could say of being these intimidating powerful sort of majestic lions or uh, uh, animals um, they can take down like huge prey lions can even take down rhinos giraffes and elephants they don't often do that unless they can't catch other food but they can even take down the largest of animals um the Bible often speaks of lions. Um, Jesus is even called a lion many times because of the imagery of a lion being a king and powerful and majestic. He's called the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the lion that we see in Revelations 4. Um, that being said, lions have quite a legacy. So as I was thinking about legacy in this series and thinking about lions, they, of course, are the best um, animal to go for when we're talking about legacy. And there's really two characters in the Bible, there's two people in the Bible who are remembered mostly for their encounters with the lion. The first is uh, one of David's mighty men, and not much is said about him, but one of the things that's said about him is that he, on a snowy day, went down into this pit and killed a lion. Like, that's awesome, <laughs> right? And that's mostly what he is remembered for. And then you have the more, more famous one, which is Daniel. And Daniel... 
is probably remembered for a number of things, but more than anything else, it's Daniel in the lion's den. He was thrown into a lion's den and survived. And so that's the story we're going to look at today. And we're going to be talking about legacy. Right? As we've gone through this series, we began with um, looking unto Jesus. That's the most important thing we do. And then we talked about leaders in the church who ultimately are there to help us keep looking unto Jesus. And then we, we talked about the last two weeks about destiny and calling. And this week we're talking about legacy. So this, this series, Animal Encounters, um, actually has a flow to it. And that flow is really the Christian life. Um, and so next week will be our, our last week in this series. And through this series, I hope that we, we learn something about how the Christian life should progress and what it's all about. But this week we're talking about legacy. And what do you want to be remembered for? Right? Because when you talk about legacy, many things can come to mind of what you would like to be remembered for. And we'll get to at the end what I believe each Christian should be living for and what they should hopefully be remembered for. But, you know, a lot of times it's our actions that show what we're really living for and what we'll be remembered for. Because you could say, I want to be remembered for this. But if you don't live in such a way that you will be remembered for it, it's meaningless what you want to be remembered for. It's your actions, the decisions that you make, the way that you treat people. That's how you'll really be remembered. And it's vital that we think about that. What's our legacy? How, will pe- how do people currently talk about us? And, and when we're gone and they're having our funeral and our, our memorial service, what are they going to say about us? How will we be remembered? I think it's really important to think about that. Daniel is somebody who is remembered um, probably as one of the best in Scripture. I mean, every time we read about him, it's, he's the best of the best. He's the most holy. He's the most excellent. He rises up every time he's in an, under a new king. He's immediately brought to second in power. Over and over again, because there was something special about him. But we remember him for this time where he was in the lion's head. So we're going to be in Daniel chapter 6 today. Scriptures will be on the screen, or you can follow along in the Bibles next to you. Daniel chapter 6, we're going to go through the whole chapter this this morning. Verse 1, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could, not find, they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction 
that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Okay, so what we have going on here is Daniel was already pretty influential in the in the government of the Babylonians. But when they were taken over by the Medes and the Persians, a new king was set in place. And Daniel is immediately again recognized as one who is excellent in spirit, who's faithful, who's without error. And he's set to this top three governors. And then beyond that, the king has the intention of putting him over all of his rule, like over all of his kingdom, that Daniel would oversee all of these things. So he's going to be basically uh, the king's right-hand man. And Daniel's being raised up, um, and the other guys, what, they don't like it. They're jealous of him. They don't like how he is receiving all this attention, how he looks better than them, how he seems wiser than them, how the king likes Daniel better. They don't like it. And so they put this um, plan in place to get Daniel in trouble. And they couldn't find any way to do it except for to force Daniel to reject his own God. What is interesting here is that Daniel was so well known for his love of his God and prayer towards his God that they knew that that was the only way to get him. It was the only way to get him. And interestingly enough, they only said it for 30 days, right? It's only 30 days. All right, so all Daniel had to do was pray on his own in a closet for 30 days. That's it. And he would have been fine, right? But Daniel, as we're going to see, decides that that's not an option. Daniel 6.10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. It's only 30 days. They're not asking you to completely reject your own God. They're just simply saying, like, don't go pray in front of these other people. Like, that's all he would have had done is not do this one routine that he had. That's it. Go, close the windows and pray. You would have been fine, Daniel. You wouldn't have been thrown in the lion's den. But Daniel says, there is no way I'm going to not boldly love and glorify my God for 30 days. There is no possible way that I will do that. I do not care what the consequences are. Me living boldly for my God is the most important thing in my life. It's only 30 days, not forever. They're not asking him to completely reject his God. It's something that, honestly, probably most Christians would give in to. Okay, you can't talk about Jesus at work for 30 days. Okay. Right? You, you can't have your devotions for 30 days. Well, I'd go longer than that anyways. <laughs> you know? Uh, you can't read the Bible for 30 days. You can't pray for 30 days. Eh, what's 30 days? Daniel's like, no way. And the same day that he hears the laws in place, he goes and he still prays three times. No possible way will I not be bold for my God. No possible way will I not give him the honor and glory that he deserves. No way. Well, he then 
is caught. They see him do it just as they planned, and verse 11 will pick up. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, for the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, uh, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. He's like bummed out because he likes Daniel and has the intent of having Daniel as his main right-hand man. And then he's tricked into setting this law in place that kind of sounded good for his own glory and and it sounded nice to him. And it was really a plan to catch Daniel. And so he's like, I got to figure out a way to save Daniel. But then they remind him, no way. You have to do what you said because the law of the Medes and Persians, when it is sealed, when it is when it is said, cannot be revoked. It cannot be changed. You have to stick to your word, which is their custom that when kings made a decree, it, it had to stay. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him. And sleep fled from him. He couldn't eat or sleep. He was so concerned about Daniel. It's interesting, too. He says, please pray to your God that nothing will happen to you. Right? He's like recognizing, like, like, your God might be able to save you. Then at daybreak, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. <laughs> it's funny that that's like a really popular child's like <laughs> ministry like story, right? Um, 
I think we skipped that part when we're reading to the kids. Uh, so it flips on them. The guys who intended harm against Daniel end up being the ones who were destroyed by the lions along with their families. Uh, side message, uh, your sin affects others whether or not you realize it. Maybe not quite to this extent, but it certainly affects others even when you don't think it will. When you allow sin in your life, it harms those around you in ways that sometimes you don't even realize. And, uh, all right, back to my message. Okay, so we're talking about legacy, right? And Daniel is remembered as this man who stood boldly for the Lord, refused to not pray his three prayers a day, facing Jerusalem. And because it was thrown in the lion's den, but he trusted God. He was like, no, God will save me. If God wants to save me, these lions can do nothing to me because my God created those lions. He can shut their mouths. Well, and that's exactly what happens. He trusted God. God provides for him, protects him. And then his enemies are then thrown in the den instead. And we remember Daniel as this man of boldness, this man of faith, this man who trusted God, and this man who was delivered because of it. I want us to turn to a page here, and I want us to compare Daniel with a person we see in the New Testament and compare how they're remembered. And then we can look at our own lives from there. Mark 10, uh, verse 17 is our, is our text. I love to just wait until Aaron's getting coffee. <laughs> Every time. Uh, Mark 10, verse 17. This is the story of the rich young ruler. And uh, his encounter with Jesus. Um, all right. We'll, uh, there we go. Tyler got it. Tyler's on it, dude. All right. Uh, Mark ten seventeen, And as he was setting out on his journey, this is speaking of Jesus, and a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. All right, let's talk about this guy for a second. He's called the rich young ruler. That's a pretty good title, right? Like, if you're talking about legacy, like, that's not a bad way to be remembered. I'm the rich young ruler in scripture. <laughs> you know, you're probably a good looking guy too. You probably had everything going for him. Like, by all standards, if you looked at his life, you'd be like, he has it all. Like he, he's religiously uh, uh, good. He um, is wealthy. He's he's young. He's influential. He's maybe even famous. Man, he has it all put together. He is going to have a great legacy. But that is not how we remember him, is it? We remember him as the man who walked away from Jesus sorrowful because he could not give up the things that he loved to follow Jesus. We remember him. 
for walking away from Jesus. That's what it says here. We have to realize what we're really living for, church. And our actions have to reflect it. Because it's one thing to say, I'm, I'm living for Jesus, I'm following Jesus, but all of our actions in our day-to-day really show that we're living so that we would have influence, so that we would have wealth, so that we would be famous, so that we could stay young, look good. If that's what all of our actions are showing is that we are really living for all these very temporal, materialistic sort of things, then that is how we'll be remembered, I'm sorry. You can say all day long that I, I want to be remembered as somebody who followed Jesus and lived for him, um, completely devoted to him. Well, your life needs to look like it then, right? If that's how you want to be remembered, because if there are things in our life that are more important to us, in some sense, we're kind of walking away from Jesus, Maybe not like officially, maybe you haven't like sworn him off altogether, but maybe there are things in your life that you simply refuse to give up because you like them too much. And right here, right now, I'm telling you that God wants you to make a decision. Is that thing more important than him? Is that thing more important than following him or not? Because if there's anything in our lives that we would say, yes, if I had to pick, I would pick this. Then that's a God in your life. And Jesus is not your God. And when it really comes down to it, like we need to look at every single thing in our life and honestly look at it and ask ourselves, is this thing more important to me than Jesus? And a lot of times we'll probably look at our life and, and, and arrogantly say, no, it's not more important than Jesus. But when push comes to shove, I see it all the time. People run away from Jesus. People turn from Jesus very um, sad because Jesus didn't give them what they wanted. I see it all the time. Jesus had many, many people following him. But Jesus often would call them out for the reason that they were following them. He's like, you're only following me for signs. And even worse, he would tell some people, you're only following me because you saw that I could provide fish and loaves. You're just following me for food. And if we are following Jesus to get what we want out of him, we're not really following Jesus. If you're following him to have your prayers answered. As you're following him as a, as a way to receive wealth or to, to receive um, some sort of blessing, then you are missing the whole point of why we follow Jesus. And that's, uh, that's why there are some teachings in certain parts of the church that are really dangerous because they make possessions, they make wealth, they make the blessings that we can get from God the whole point. They make it the whole point. The whole reason you follow him is so you can get stuff. No, we follow Jesus because he is the way, the truth, the life. We follow Jesus because he's the only way that we, we can be reconciled and restored to relationship with God. We follow Jesus because he is the life. Think about that. There is no life apart from him. No true, real life apart from him. He is the only way. And he is the truth. It is all about him. 
So our actions are going to show what we're really living for. Our actions will be what we remember or remember it for. Do you want to be remembered for your wealth, for your influence, for your fame? Or do you want to be remembered as somebody who, despite all things, followed Jesus? Like Daniel, despite all things, it didn't matter what the circumstances, it didn't matter if he had to lose all of his influence, all of his wealth, all of his authority, even his own life, he was not going to turn away from his God, unlike the rich young ruler. He was not going to turn away from his God. Because he also had everything here, that the rich young ruler had, but he was willing to lose it all for Jesus, all for God. But you know what's even greater about Daniel was that Daniel didn't just glorify God himself. Daniel lived such a life that others glorified God because of it. Let's read here in Daniel six twenty-five. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So, Dan, so this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Daniel lived such a life that a guy who wanted to be prayed to as God for 30 days ends up instead decreeing to every person, every nation in the known world at that time that they should follow and believe in and worship the God of Daniel and glorify the God of Daniel. Daniel lived such an, a, a bold life for God that those around him began to glorify God. Now that's, that's how I want to be remembered. That's how I would hope all of us would want to be remembered. As someone who not only glorified God, not just followed Jesus, but who really led and influenced others to do so as well. Man, what a compelling life that is. That when people are around you, they're influenced to glorify God. They're influenced to follow Jesus. Sometimes maybe it's by your words, but often probably by just watching you and the way you live. I want to talk about that for a moment, right? So you have two kind of schools of thought, right? You got the people who are like, you need to preach the gospel everywhere you go all the time. Always have a track in your hand. Right? Always have the gospel on your lips. And then also your actions should, should be there. And then you have the other, the other school of thought, which is you need to just live like Jesus. And people are going to start asking why you're different. And you're going to uh, be able to tell them then. When, in really, when you give answer, you will be able to tell them about Jesus. And I probably sit right like in the middle. Like I see the, the value of both, right? And, and I think that when you go to one side or the other on that kind of school thought, you, you, you have people with some problems sometimes. 
But here's the thing. For, for all of the talk that I hear from people who are on the one side about my life is a, a witness to the gospel, I never see those people leading people to the Lord. Like, very rarely, to be completely honest. Because if that's your school of thought, then why aren't people getting saved at your workplace? Maybe it's that your life isn't actually that compelling. <laughs> like, I'm sorry that statement is so brutal. And in many ways, I'm, I'm guilty of it as well. But maybe it's that your life isn't actually all that compelling. Because you're not actually living a life that looks that much like Jesus. <laughs> now, we need to live lives that shine. We, by the grace of God, are the light of the world. Him through us, we are the light to the world. He has entrusted us with a mission to reach the ends of the earth, to make disciples, to bring in the sheep into the flock. The lost should be found through us. Ultimately, he gets all the glory and credit, but he's using us, church. We have been entrusted with this mission, and we are imperfect. I am imperfect. There are days in all of our lives and probably will always be where we don't look a lot like Jesus. But we need to be honest about it and not pretend that we're doing so well. Like if, if you are around unbelievers, your life needs to look different. It needs to be influential. And you also need to speak about it. And I'm not going to give you a method of like, hang out with them this many times, do these sort of things, and then talk this way. I want you to be on fire. I want it to be your passion, right? We always want systems and things, but that, it's not going to make you do anything, right? Living on mission and living for the glory of God is something that you have to decide for yourself is the most important thing. It's the most important thing. Until you really come to that place where it really, truly is the most important thing in your life, you're not going to be all that influential for the gospel. And that goes for all of us. We have to be completely sold out for Jesus. And as I said earlier, that 30-day thing, just not publicly displaying your worship to the Lord for 30 days, is probably how we live a lot of our months. <laughs> Am I wrong? Am I wrong? A couple of weeks ago, I talked about how the believers had all boldness. They prayed for all boldness, not just some boldness. We're really bold at church and community group. But we're not bold in our workplaces. We're not bold in the streets. All boldness. That's what Daniel had. And because Daniel was so sold out for his God, he could not go one day without publicly professing his love and petitioning to his God from his window. He could not do it for, like, not just 30 days. He couldn't do it for one day. He had to be bold for God every single day because it was that important to him. It was the only thing that truly mattered in his entire life. Not his influence, not his position, not his wealth, not any of it. Only his God. And when we live a life like that, when we decide that I will, I will live for him more than anything else truly day by day do so we start to influence others like daniel was able to influence the king 
who then used his influence to reach the known world at the time. That's awesome. That is really awesome. That gets me excited. I had a bunch of points that I wanted to make about this chapter and and, and Daniel with the lions. But the more I prayed about it, there was only one I felt was really important. Only one that we really needed to focus on. And that was Daniel's patterns. Right? Daniel had the pattern. He had the habit of glorifying God three times a day, every day, every day, every day. And we're creatures of habit, whether or not you're a disciplined person. You still do the same things over and over and over and over again. Right? Like disciplined people and undisciplined people both have these habits that they do all of the time. Organized people and unorganized people. They both have habits and patterns in their life that they do all of the time because we're creatures of habit. We're creatures of habit. If you're like an unorganized person, you lose your keys all the time, right? Like that is a habit in your life. You're always losing your keys. And even though you go, man, losing my keys is, is, is a horrible situation. I'm talking about myself before I like learned certain things of discipline, <laughs> right? Losing your keys is not a good thing. Like, and I believed wholeheartedly that like losing my keys, losing my wallet, losing my sunglasses was a bad thing. But until I made some changes in my life, I was just always losing everything. Like, and then I started doing little things like everywhere I went, I do this check and I still do it. I feel all my pockets before I leave any room. So I know where my keys, my phone and my wallet is. Otherwise it could be anywhere. If I don't do that, every time I'm about to walk through the door, I will lose everything I own. (laughs) Like, that's the type of person I am. But I had to make a choice, like, okay, I'm going to always check, okay? So, like, if you are always running late, you talk to those people who always run late, and they believe that being on time is good. Like, they wholeheartedly believe it. But they don't have the patterns and discipline in their life to actually be on time. That's why they're always late. See, faith without works is dead. Right? And that goes for the stupidest little things like being on time or, or not losing your keys. Until you actually discipline yourself and put some patterns in place, it does not matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what you believe because you're still going to lose your keys and be late. But once you set patterns in your life, you then start to live in a different manner. Right? And a lot of times with our Christian faith, our faith in Jesus Christ, oftentimes it's not that any of us, hopefully in this room, are going... I really don't think following Jesus is good. Like, none of us are sitting here going, yeah, I don't want to follow Jesus. I think being bold for God is bad. I think displaying my faith publicly is is bad. Most of us are sitting here going, yeah, those are all good things. But until we decide to make certain patterns in our life that display it, that belief isn't very useful, is it? And in a certain sense, when when James is talking about faith without works is dead, in a certain sense, and I'm not accusing anybody here of not being saved, don't get me wrong, I'm saying that it's not useful. Like, your faith isn't useful without the following actions. Because anybody who professes that Jesus is Lord has to have the Holy Spirit to say so. Like, I'm not going to point around going, oh, you don't have the actions in your life, so you're not saved, you're going to hell. That's not at all what I'm preaching. What I'm preaching is that your faith is just not useful. Your faith isn't useful until you have actions and patterns 
that actually bring about results. That's why it's disciples. It's a very similar word to discipline. We have to begin to put certain patterns in our life that display what we're really living for. The patterns in your life will be what people remember you for. They will, right? Like a lot of times we like to talk about the things that are important to us. And you can talk all you want, but how you live your life will be how people remember you. People won't go up there and be like, he always talked about loving God, but he, but he never, if you didn't actually love him and, 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 and it wasn't visible, that's not going to be what they get up there and talk about. Because words aren't enough. Your belief that God is good is not enough. You need to live in such a way that shows it. That's what legacy is all about. Daniel lived such a life that had patterns that were recognizable. Things that he always did to glorify God. And it got him into trouble because they saw it. It was the one thing they knew for sure Daniel would do is he would go to that window and pray. They knew he would not neglect that. That's why they set this whole plan in place. Because they actually knew him well enough to know that he wouldn't stop doing it. That's why the plan worked. Because the patterns in his life was how people knew him. It's what they knew about him. And so they knew he would still pray. And they knew they could throw him in the lion's den. They didn't know God was going to save him. And they didn't know that they were going to get thrown in the lion's den and die themselves. So, this morning, if you can take anything, it's that your faith needs to start resulting in patterns in your life. Your faith needs to be displayed in patterns in your life. And I'm not going to tell you what those are. You're probably thinking of some immediately. There's probably some things that are coming to mind and you're thinking, these are things I know that I should be doing, but I'm not. Start there. There are a lot of things in Scripture that the Bible tells us to do. Look at some of those. Maybe you need to just start by getting in Scripture, like actually getting in Scripture. You know, if, if you, I said I wasn't going to talk about practical things, but on this I will. If you have a hard time getting to Scripture, I have maybe three, um, three recommendations. The first would be try listening to it instead of reading it. You can listen to a lot of Bible as you're driving to work or wherever. You've got, we've all got that Bible phone app. Um, you can listen to it on there. Listen to the Bible instead of trying to read it. That's a really good option. Um, get yourself maybe a journal Bible or a journal with the Bible and get a hard copy. Something that there's some, or get yourself a new Bible. Like sometimes just the fact of having a new Bible may maybe get you to read it. <laughs> um, and lastly is, is get somebody who maybe will read it with you and hold you accountable. Um, because other patterns in your life are going to come by you seeing in Scripture that they're important and that God has told us to do them. And so if you're not in the Word, you're not really going to know to go what, where to go next with your faith. But the Bible will show you. So get into the Word um, and really kind of audit your own life and say, what are... The patterns that I have in my life. What are the people that are, what are the things that people are seeing regularly in my life? And what is that pointing to? 
What is it pointing to? What message is it preaching? If you audit your own life, you look at your own life honestly, you can start to get rid of any patterns that are not glorifying to God and start putting in place things that will glorify Him. And ultimately, at my heart and my prayer is that myself, the people in this room, the people who are in our church to any extent would live lives that don't just glorify God, but cause others to also glorify God. That would be powerful. That's what we want to see. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your your word. Thank you so much for... This, this scripture, Lord, that we look at and know that you can have incredible influence in our lives and those around us if we'll just devote ourselves to you. God, you love us so much that you saved us, but you also gave us a calling on our life. You have a destiny for us. You have good things prepared before time itself for us to do. You love us so much that you didn't just save us, but you brought us into your purpose and mission. You want us to be a part of it. God, I pray that we would live lives that glorify you and ultimately bring about your mission here on earth. God, we we love you so much. Lord, uh, help us in our weakness. I pray that we wouldn't have a spirit of condemnation as we think about this, but a spirit of conviction that we can move forward by the grace of God and live different lives tomorrow than we did yesterday. We can live more influential lives. We can live for your purpose and your, and your mission. In Jesus' name, amen.